Hey, good morning, Crosswinds family, and hello to any of you who are joining us online. It's good to have you uh, with us. Uh, once again, my name is Albert, and uh, Chris and Andrea and I are good friends, along with my wife, Christine, who's also joined us today. Uh, and I think it is wonderful that they are getting this time of rest and renewal. I oversee about 92 churches all throughout the Bay Area and along the Northern California coast, uh, more than 150 pastors. And I want to tell you that the last couple of years have been very, very hard on pastors trying to lead faith communities through this time. There are certain uh, vocations that have, have really just been on kind of on the front lines, helping people navigate this time. Healthcare professionals, uh, teachers, it's been an incredibly hard time uh, for teachers. They're my heroes. And I would put pastors in that, in that category. Uh, and so we really advocate for uh, overall holistic uh, mental, physical, spiritual well-being for our pastors. And so you supporting them uh, for this time to get away, praying for them uh, is a wonderful gift for them. So thank you for doing that. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we know that, uh, that you created us uh, for relationship with you. It's something we are made in your image. It's a very special thing. You've also created us for relationship with one another. And so how good is it, God, for us to be here together, worshiping you today, growing in our faith, loving one another. Uh, but Lord, this is a, this is a gathering where uh, you are present and you want to speak to us. And we can be hard of hearing sometimes and we can be distracted. So Lord, I pray right now that each of us would be settled in our spirits, that we would be ready to attend to your voice and respond to the loving and very good voice of our Heavenly Father who wants to lead us in the path to life. We're ready. We're so grateful, God, that you want to enter into relationship with us. We're listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, uh, I serve as a district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, uh, if you don't know what a Nazarene is, that's okay. I didn't either when I was growing up. Uh, don't worry, we are not a cult. Uh, we are uh, part of a, actually a family of denominations that belong to what we call the, the Wesleyan Holiness Theological Tradition. And so some of our sister denominations include the United Methodist Church, uh, the Free Methodist, Salvation Army, Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ. These are all part of our theological branch of the church. And what makes us distinct is our emphasis on holiness. We believe that God has called us to be holy people and that he's empowered us to live holy lives. And so we think that's very, very good news for the world, and I'd love to share with you a little bit about that today. Now, I grew up in a non-Christian immigrant family uh, just outside of Toronto, Canada, and my parents are culturally Buddhist, uh, but uh, we, we didn't uh, really go to worship at the temple, and we didn't have a family shrine at home. So I didn't really have much of a religious background. English is not my parents' first language. So holy, for me, was a word that you would put in front of other words in order to emphasize amazement, <laughs> right? So and my dad worked really hard to learn English, uh, including common slang and idioms. So, so he, when he was wowed by something, he would say, holy moly. 
or, or holy cow, or holy smokes. But my favorite, and a lot of people don't say this anymore, he would say, holy mackerel. <laughs> and I think we should bring that one back. It's, I love it, I love it. And later, you know, I, I learned that holy had something to do with religion. It meant sacred or connected to God or, or angels or, or the church or something along those lines. Uh, but it wasn't until I became a Christian much later in life that I started to appreciate what the word holy actually means. And once you start exploring holiness, uh, you realize it's a very unique and a very profound, special word. It has a very deep meaning uh, that uh, really has no other equivalent. We don't have another equivalent for this word in the English, English language. And we've lost our understanding of what it means to be holy or the, this word holiness. And I think it's important for us to rediscover and reclaim this word, uh, especially in these challenging times. We need to keep this word alive. Uh, it, it's, it's, holiness is like the ocean. It is, uh, it's an idea. It's an identity. It's a way of living uh, that, and being that, that we can spend our whole lives exploring, and we just barely scratch the surface. If there is one thing that ought to be central to our understanding of God, it's that God is holy. It is God's defining attribute. Uh, and so what does that mean? Well, in, in Hebrew, the word is kadosh, which means uh, sacred or set apart. Holy, when, when we use it to describe God, it, it doesn't mean set apart as in physically separated, like, like over there, okay? It, it means set apart as in different from that which is common, uh, special, one of a kind, without compare, unique. In other words, uh, no one is good like God is good. No one is merciful or just like God. Uh, no one is, is creative like God. No one loves like God loves. God is without equal. There is no one like God. The phrase holy, holy, holy appears twice in the scriptures, once in the Old Testament and once in the New and R.C. Sproul, a theologian, he observed that the Bible says that God is holy, 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 not that, is me, that he is merely holy, or holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, 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 but it does say that God is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. So if holy means unique, and God is holy, and that means by definition, no one and nothing else can possibly be holy. You can't have two holy people or two holy things, because as soon as you do, they're not holy anymore. Holy means one of a kind, unique. It literally means without equal, without compare, right? 
So if that's true, then how do we explain the words of Peter, who says, therefore, with, your, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. How do we explain this? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we are called to be holy in all that we do, but only God can be holy. So, so what do we do with that? Well, let's set that aside for a minute and just ask, well, what if? What, what if we could be holy? What if holiness became our defining characteristic, just like it is for God? What if when, when people thought of Christians, the first word that came to mind was holy? Because that's not actually the case. Not at all. In 2007, a major study explored what young people really think of Christians. And the top five responses were, number one, anti-homosexual. And the research revealed that people don't just think Christians oppose homosexuality, they actually believe Christians show excessive contempt and unloving attitudes towards people across the LGBTQ spectrum. I'm heartbroken by that. We all should be. Because Jesus says that we're not going to be known by our homophobia, but by our love. It doesn't really get much better from that. The next responses were judgmental, hypocritical, old-fashioned, or, or out of touch with reality, and too involved in politics. That was 15 years ago. Has our reputation changed much since then? I doubt it. If anything, it's probably gotten worse. In 2017, a Pew Research poll revealed that atheists and agnostics, and I have a real heart for people who don't know Jesus yet. That was my story. But atheists and agnostics had warmer feelings toward every other religious group including Jews and Catholics and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims, than they did towards evangelical Christians. Now, I've heard some Christians, when I, when I talk about this, some Christians say, well, we, I mean, why, we should not care what outsiders think. But the Bible teaches that we should actually have a very healthy concern for our reputation as believers. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that overseers in the church must have a good reputation with outsiders so that they won't fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. He says that we should show perfect courtesy towards all people. And of course, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He prays in John 17, I pray that all of them, all the, the believers, all the church will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The writer of Hebrews 12, 14 couldn't have made it any clearer when he said, make every effort to live in peace 
with everyone and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Unless we are holy people, no one will believe what we have to say about Jesus. No one will see the Lord. Christians are not thought of as holy people. That is a big problem. The word Christian has become co-opted and compromised in many parts of the country. Did you know that public trust in pastors is at an all-time low? Every year, the Gallup organization conducts a poll to measure perceptions of the honesty and, and ethical standards of, of various professions. Nurses are at the top of the list. If you're a nurse, awesome. People trust you. You should be up here instead of me, right? 89% believe that, of Americans believe that nurses are honest and trustworthy. Doctors and teachers are also highly trusted. 52% believe that police officers are trustworthy. But only 39% of Americans say they trust pastors. Yikes. <laughs> at least we're not at the bottom of the list. That distinction would go to members of Congress. <laughs> at 8%. Wow. The church in America has been in decline for decades. It's growing like crazy in other parts of the world, but it's been in decline in the U.S. U.S. church membership has actually dropped below 50% for the first time down from 73% just 20 years ago. It's the lowest it's ever been in recorded history. The median worship attendance of U.S. congregations has been cut in half to just 65 people. Most, most churches are very small. It's been cut in half to 65 people in 20 years. During the pandemic, one out of three Christians stopped going to church altogether, whether online or in person. I just read the other day that during the last two years, 26 million Americans stopped reading their Bibles. Compared to the, the general public, evangelical Christians are the least likely to believe that climate change is real. They are the least likely to support uh, efforts to address racial injustice. They are the least likely to support immigration rights. More than half of white evangelicals in the U.S. believe that Antifa was behind the January 6th Capitol riots, even though that claim has been widely and, and thoroughly debunked. Evangelical Christians are the least likely to follow health orders during the pandemic. I am not saying any of this to condemn the church. There are plenty of people doing that already. I love the church. What I am saying is that we are different from our non-Christian neighbors, but not necessarily in a good way, and not necessarily in the way that Jesus envisioned. What ought to distinguish us is not our views on politics or social issues or even what we do on Sunday mornings. What ought to set us apart is that we are a holy people who follow a holy God. If that is not what defines us, we have lost our way. And that's nobody's fault except our own. Because God has made it clear that that's who he is. And that's who we are called to be. 
And God has empowered us to be a holy people. So what would happen? What would, what would happen if we devoted ourselves to being holy in all that we do, just as God is holy, holy in the way that we work, holy in the way that we learn, in the way that we play, in the way that we rest, holy in the way that we love, holy in the way we worship, holy in the way that we treat people, the way that we see and experience the world. What if we were holy people? How do we do that? Because by definition, only God can be holy. How can we possibly do what God is asking? How can we be holy? Well, I'd like to read a passage of Scripture from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, the, the very uh, beginning of that chapter, verses 1 to 8. And then we're going to watch a short video that kind of unpacks this passage a little bit for us. Uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. What is going on here? What's the significance of this scene in Isaiah's vision? Well, I want you to watch this video from the Bible Project that helps us understand. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. 
I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. 
And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. How do we become holy as God is holy? By allowing his holiness to touch us and purify us and transform us. In other words, holiness begins with God and is transferred to us as we become aware of and respond to his presence. Jesus is like that holy coal that was touched to Isaiah's lips, and through Jesus, we can be made holy. And through God's Holy Spirit living in us, the whole world can actually be made holy. Holiness is not a set of behaviors that we adopt or a a persona that we can can, uh, take take on and, and off. It's not performative. It has nothing to do with being in a certain place at a certain time, like church on Sundays. That's not what makes us holy. Holiness is about who God is and who we are and the relationship that God makes possible between us through Jesus. And so if we understand the call to be holy as an invitation into relationship with God, as an invitation to follow Jesus, to stay close to Jesus so that we can learn from him and enjoy him and be transformed by him, then all of our everyday routines and our choices begin to change. And, and we, everything that we do begins to look different, begins to look holy. In other words, our sense of what brings life and what brings death begins to look like how God sees these things, and we begin to reject the things that lead us to death and embrace the things that lead us to life. Our sense of justice becomes like God's sense of justice. The way we love begins to look more like the way that Jesus loves. The the way that we forgive looks like the way that God forgives. We begin to become holy in all that we do. Here's what I want you to understand. Be holy is not a command for you to try harder. It is an invitation to come closer. Come closer. Now, if you are burned out by religion or if you're weary of the state of the church or turned off by the witness of Christians, some of you may just be exploring what it means to follow Jesus but there's something about the church that that turns you off. That was my story. I want you to know that God is tired of it too. But God loves us too much to leave us in that place. Jesus is making all things new, including us, beginning with us, especially us. 
and he will not rest until he has completed the good work that he started in us, until, as Paul says in Philippians, until we become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, shining as lights in the world. Here's the good news. This is the gospel. This is what the arrival and teachings and life and death and resurrection of Jesus means. Here's the good news. Before Jesus, people believed that sin and death are contagious, and they stayed away from those things. But Jesus came to demonstrate that it is the holiness of God that is contagious. Life. True life that comes through Jesus, that is what is contagious. Sin and death are no match for the holiness, the love of God. And in the end, it is life that will prevail. God is holy, holy, holy. And he desires to share his holiness with us, all of us. God does not intend for us to be set apart from the world. He wants us to be set apart for the world. And friends, that's very good news. That is good news. God's holiness is overcoming everything that is broken in this world. And he has used the church, he's created the church to be his instruments of that holiness. Let's pray. God, holiness, holiness, that's who you are. That's what you call us to. And you've given us your spirit so that we can be holy people. But God, for us to be transformed, we've got to come into close proximity with you. We need to be in your presence. We need to listen to your words. They need to be planted in our hearts. God, we cannot become holy at a distance. We have to draw close to you. Lord, help us not to, not to have a, 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 an understanding of religion where we just have to try and try and try and try and try harder and harder and harder to earn your love or, or to be good people, God. You just say, come, come close to me. Come follow me. As long as you're in my presence, as long as we're walking together, you will be transformed. This world will be transformed. Lord, holiness is not about how good we are. It's about how good you are. Share all of yourself with us so that we might be a blessing to this broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys want to stand and sing with us?
are holy. Draw us close to you, Lord, that we may also be holy. Transform us. That we may go out and spread your holiness, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are, Jesus. For coming here and showing us what it's like to be holy. you guys so much for singing you guys sound great well you guys have a great week and we will see you all next week